Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Delic. I'm Mike Brancatelli, of course. And this is uh, a new thing for me, releasing a podcast in video format and also uh, kind of immediately after we recorded. I just finished recording with Vin Armani. Uh, and it was a fascinating conversation. Vin is uh, a philosopher, an author, a serial tech entrepreneur, a self-proclaimed crypto savage, as am I. And uh, he, in addition to being an author and a speaker, he's made his living as a television star uh, on a popular uh, Showtime show, a film producer, a high-end male escort or gigolo, uh, a software developer, an art gallerist, a pirate radio station operator, podcaster, uh, YouTuber, DJ, music producer, uh, motorcycle courier, and he studied philosophy at Howard University and uh, seems pretty apropos that I am in this kind of dimly lit uh, studio space right now and releasing this episode uh, as well as the kind of synchronistic events of today where Vin kind of got into it a little bit with uh, my friend Dave Smith, who uh, I was the co-host on Part of the Problem with Dave uh, for, for a little bit, um, I think from 2014 to 2016 uh, before uh, leaving and, and starting Mikeadelic. And uh, I sort of felt compelled to kind of chime in a little bit and, and come to Dave's defense. Uh, uh, massive respect for Dave and for Tom Woods, who was also involved in the tweet as well. Uh, you know, I, I really wouldn't be who I am and where I am without, without those guys. And uh, particularly Dave, as he's been a, a good friend and, um, you know, uh, just someone who really kind of took me under his wing and, and, and helped me. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely owe a lot to him. And, uh, and uh, Vin and I have sort of been on similar trajectories, I, I would say. And uh, it's a really fascinating discussion. We talk a little bit about, you know, us being kind of both former libertarians, but still, you know, embodying uh, the spirit of liberty and sort of uh, moving into a wider space of mysticism and magic and psychedelics and plant medicines and theogens, ayahuasca. And we talk about the the term that Vin has, has coined the dim age or, or made popular, uh, as I was alluding to being in this kind of dimly lit space. Uh, we talk about uh, Christianity of all things, right? Um, something that I was very averse to uh, early on. Uh, but we get into a lot of the the myth, the magic, the culture, what's happening in our world right now. Uh, so we get into it all. You're going to love this conversation. Follow Vin at Vin Armani on Twitter. Go to his website, get his book. I just read his book, Render Unto Caesar, his latest book. He's the author of three books and uh, Render Unto Caesar is his latest. All the links will be in the show description. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, I just think this was the right time for this conversation. You guys are going to love it. And um, this podcast is sponsored by Sheath Underwear. Sheath Underwear. It is the best. It's literally the only underwear that I wear. It's amazing. It is uh, the softest, most comfortable pair of boxer briefs that I've ever worn. I love their flower of life print. 
they, they're really comfortable. They have moisture wicking fabric, they're stretchy, uh, and they have compartments that separate your man parts. They're, they're great and they're amazing. Bobby, the owner, is a huge fan of podcasts and comedy and, and Liberty. And uh, they're just really awesome. And their underwear is amazing. And uh, let me tell you, when you get these underwear, you are going to feel so much more breathability down there, so much more air circulation. Not Nothing's going to be tight, scrunched up like those crappy boxer briefs you're probably wearing. And by doing so, it will activate your chakras and your third eye will explode. And you'll be like, oh my God, I see the world so much differently now, all because of this extremely comfortable pair of sheath underwear. Yeah. So they're great. Check out them and uh, just go to sheathunderwear.com, put in the promo code Mikeadelic at checkout. You get 20% off. That's sheathunderwear.com, promo code Mikeadelic for 20% off. Also check out Mushroom Revival. Put in the code Mikeadelic, you get 15% off. And then shout out to Student Loan Tutor. If you have student debt, go see the debt shamans. Uh, Zach Geist is a real wizard. And uh, you got to check them out because they could potentially help you. They helped me big time. So uh, check that out. Once again, all the links are in the show notes. But uh, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Vin Armani. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Is Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah, I just, you know, like I said, it's just been, uh, it's been awesome kind of like getting to know you online and then becoming first aware of you through listening to, um, Pete Canonez's podcast. And so I feel that, um, we're, I, 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 I definitely have been awakened, I think through, uh, looking at what you're, looking at what you were putting out and what you were saying, because I had been trying to sort of make these connections. Uh, however, I feel that I, I was missing a crucial piece. And I feel like you're really crystallizing that and reading your latest book, Render Unto Caesar, has really brought that home big in a big way. And so like, you know, I'm into crypto, I'm into psychedelics, I'm into spirituality, esoteric stuff. But as far as like Orthodox Christianity, that had been a, that's a piece that I have not touched. And this is something that, that you've kind of been delving into, but you had mentioned that you also didn't know and you weren't aware of that. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of what has brought you here. And, and maybe you could share a little bit about that, that journey for you. Yeah. I mean, the, who knows really when a journey starts, right? That's, yeah. 
that's always a question. You could say, well, it started here, it started here, it started here. But I think that that those episodes with Pete and Pete reaching out and saying, hey, man, what is this thing that you're talking about? You know, you're talking about the dim age. You're talking about all of this stuff. It's like you're making these wild predictions about things going in this crazy direction. And in some ways, I know he was like, I think I see this, too, but it doesn't seem like anybody else around is really all that concerned. They don't have a sense of urgency, but he's like, I think I, I think I see it going in this direction too. Can we like start talking about this? And we did. And, you know, it resonated with a lot of people. And I think that the reason that it resonated with a lot of people is because, well, it's, it's, it's very much the Jungian or sort of Joseph Campbell or even uh, Jordan Peterson idea that we are living inside of stories uh, and that we have these archetypes, we have these models of stories taking place. And it's not totally conscious, but things resonate with us. You know, you go into a movie, you see a story being told and, you know, something happens to a character and you start crying. Now you consciously know, right, that it's like, this is an actor or whatever. It might even be a famous actor. Something happens, it's a touching moment, whatever. Why does this happen? Why, why do you have this emotional feeling? Why would you have a feeling of sadness, of triumph or whatever? And it's because it, it is connecting with a moment in the story that is resonant and that makes sense. And so Pete and I started talking and it was through that conversation and then other ones that came. Now it's been a flood. But in the early conversations, there were a few. My, Mark Claire of Lions of Liberty, some other people, you know what I mean? Hotep Jesus, things like that. People who were just curious, who I had somewhat of a relationship with, who were like, is Vin crazy? I don't think he's crazy. Like he's, he's usually not, he usually is on point. So what's going on? And I didn't necessarily know what thread I was pulling on. You know, I didn't necessarily know. I saw something and really felt inside of me that I was seeing a vision of what was coming in the future, but it was like, how am I even knowing this? And then it is because I've spent many, many years engaged in these patterns, you know, from work with psychedelics, spiritual practice, study of religion, you know, my educational backgrounds in philosophy, all of these things. And, and not, not to mention Joseph Campbell and, Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson later on, I already had a good framework at, at that time, particularly from Campbell. Yeah. But seeing these things and watching it line up, it has then, and, and with people's interest, I was then motivated to continue following the thread. So I had moved my family to Saipan, here where we are, in early April. We basically made the decision in mid-March when everything started to go crazy. I was like, I see where it's going. You know, I think it's it shows a level of commitment that it's like, how much does somebody believe what they're actually saying? And I always that's how I always base belief, because belief is very much about the embody embodiment. What do you embody? How are you behaving? And yeah. so if somebody says, oh, there's a pedophilic cabal of Satanists who are running everything and yet they don't change anything about their lives. I'm like, do you really believe that or is this entertainment? Right. But if somebody says, hey, shit's about to go crazy in the mainland U.S. and the next week they have their family on a plane to an island that you've never heard of. 
you might stop and think like, wait, this person really actually believes this. And I think that that's, uh, that's a big part of why people were even willing to listen to what I had to say was mm. because of that commitment. And, and because it's like, oh, well, this guy, he must actually believe this. He's putting his ass on the line for this, you know, and his families. Yeah. And it was because of this background. And it's because I did that. And because I wanted to pull on the thread and because I myself wanted to understand better so that I could explain better what was happening, my understanding grew, my spiritual practice, my daily spiritual practice grew. That was the weirdest part of this whole thing, right? Is that, you know, meditation and contemplation turned into prayer and my book started to flow out over the year. I had started working on it. Maybe it was a third done you know, of some of the more materialistic aspects, but the nature of what I was writing all of a sudden became apparent and it started to flow out. And it was like on a daily basis, here are coming these things. And then also I'm talking with more people. I'm, I'm utilizing Twitter as kind of a sounding board of these concepts. And it was through that and through me speaking in this weird way and just telling people what I was doing and how my life was changing that really orthodox Christianity found me in that through a, a very winding and interesting way that, you know, maybe I'll ex expand on in the future when there's more of this relationship uh, fleshed out of where it's going. You know, I found myself just blessed to have a spiritual father who's a very unique individual, um, Serbian Orthodox priest, but in the States, but who he's a Serbian Orthodox priest, meaning under the Serbian Orthodox, uh, you know, patriarchate. But uh, he's a he's a black guy, former tattoo artist, former like punk uh, type of guy from Orange County, California. And it's like uh, maybe the weirdest <laughs> possible Serbian Orthodox priest you can run across. Right. But totally resonant with me being from Southern California myself, you know, black and Mexican you know, we grew up miles, just a few miles from each other. And his experiences also in spirituality mirrored mine. And so he was very, he was very much able to, to help me along. And, and I thank God that he, that he came along because it's expanded for me, but also my understanding that there is a story, a Christian story, and it's actually at the root in the root of our culture. Cause Orthodox Christianity is, uh, arguably is the original the most original form of Christianity that we have because their whole shtick, if you will, is that we're not going to change anything. If things change in orthodoxy, it's very, very slowly. So their liturgical rites are thousand years old. You know, they, they, they stretch back and they recognize saints 2000 years ago and they celebrate the feasts of them. And so they're living in a story and the idea of orthodoxy is that the reason why that story is important is because it's basically there's a prophecy. I mean, that's what the book of Revelation is. But there's a prophecy that this story will be forgotten and that uh, there is a war taking place, a spiritual war, a, a war in the heavens, a celestial war, and that the adversary is trying to, has been trying to take over and that uh, it's, it's a war between the, the infernal kingdom, if you will, and the kingdom of God, and that their job is to maintain a vessel through which 
the tools to fight that spiritual battle when the time is right are there. Mm, yeah. And um, it's, it's really incredible and it's really beautiful and it's really right because you look around and what you see is that the story that is running our culture has been forgotten, corrupted, inverted, twisted, turned into the, the expression of that story has been turned into something that should be shunned and is wicked. Um, and, and yeah, that's the, that's the place that I'm at now is really that further exploration. And, and I do believe now that it's the dive into that tradition. I've got a multi, I, this is what's happening now. This is a, a multi-generational fall. Yeah. I have a multi-generational. So now what it is for me is a, as deep exploration as I can into that tradition. And maybe it, is other traditions as well. I don't know. But for right now, that particular tradition is the, is the path in my orientation uh, to see what I can mine from out of there and perhaps contribute to there or help to spread the, the positive aspects of it um, so that there is a world for my children because I have children. Right. And that's really where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think that um, for most people and and especially probably people listening to this show too, there's like a resistance to to christianity oh you know and, and even myself when i first started out on my path i was an atheist libertarian uh and then Same. you know i went through a lot of transitions right yeah and um because i grew up with the roman catholic church mm -hmm. um and so you know i remember my parents telling me you can leave when you're after confirmation i said great i'm out of here and uh, didn't go back. And of course, you hear all the things, uh, corruption and the Pope and the this and the that. But that, that's got nothing to do with what you're talking about. This is the, the this isn't the bastardized interpretations and the, the fragmentation of the of the stories and into the formations of cults and things like that. You're talking about the, uh, as you told me before, the mystical element of of this stuff, which in my view, which I think maybe you share, is that time is not linear mm -hmm. and that it's cyclical and we're repeating things and we can kind of map the territory if we know where to look. Yeah. And that's, it's funny that you say that. I mean, I'm undergoing, uh, I, I'm, I'm a catechumen right now, so I'm doing uh, Orthodox catechism. It's, my wife is baptized Orthodox. She's Russian and, and also my daughters are, but I had no thought that, that I would, that this was so it's like it's been reaching out for me you know it's been reaching out for me <laughs> but um it's funny because like we we had a class yesterday and uh, the discussion of orthodox time the orthodox vision view of time liturgical time they call it it was right there and it's it's even deeper than cyclical it's like that it's 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 all at once mm. like the patterns are all at once like that time mm. is not on a line it's that time is already a singularity. And so, yes, we see the repetition, but the repetition is inside of the single. It's like the time is the clock itself, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. And it's like, you could be somewhere on the clock and maybe the hand passes by you, you know? Right. But the idea is that it's all taking place at once. Uh, my spiritual father is an iconographer as well, which is a former tattoo artist, right? So you clearly, so he can talk about this, but showing icons where he's like, see, this is a, a depiction of all of these things happening over like all of these happened over like a two year time span. All right. So he was talking about some, some of these about the nativity. Right. And so he was all of these over like a two year time span. So he's like, it's all at once liturgical time. Mm. 
So you enter into this tradition and it's like, it's eternal. Mm. And these patterns are eternal. And this, I was like, this is Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is not this. What? Yeah. You're telling me this is the or this is the original vein. Are you kidding me? And and then the you know the the orthodox, which is something not in Catholicism, but but you know for them, their the ultimate goal is um, is theosis. They say, which is uh, you know in short the 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 quote is uh, God became man so that man could become God. Small g. That the the goal of life is sainthood. The goal of life is to be mystically, to raise yourself mystically through ascetic practice, fasting, prayer, giving of alms. And the prayer is not just like, oh, God, heavenly father, Lord, God, blah, 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 like that. The prayer is like, you know, they, they, they practice hesychasm. So a lot of it is meditative. It's silent. You know, it's it it's it's going deep into a, a, a trance state almost to access this and to have an experience of the divine, theoria, to see the heavens open up, to be, to have the Holy Spirit come in and you, f- you feel it like this is the original way. Like it's not about some book and all of this. It's like it's experiential, mm-hmm. and for me, especially as someone you know like look, you've had experiences with ayahuasca. I've had experiences with a lot of psychedelics, yeah, but, same. Having, yeah. but having an experience that is as holistic as an ayahuasca ceremony, right? Especially with a real Shipibo shaman, which is like what I was blessed with in my first, you know, my, my first maybe four or five ceremonies. It's like the, the entire experience, right? It's not just about this, a, a chemical which right. I think in the West we can really, but you're like, you know what? If you took out any one of these, it's not the same quality of experience. It's just a completely different experience, what you're able to pull out of it. If you take out the songs or the particular timing, if you take out the shaman being a master and knowing what's going on with each individual, if you take out the, the uh, you know, sacred tobacco, if you take out, if you take out these things, the experience is not there. And for me, exploring this aspect of the tradition and, and, and particularly the practice of prayer and feeling an altered state of consciousness and knowing what that feels like and mm. feeling a spirit aboding in me and knowing what that feels like, right? Knowing the difference between my voice and, and another voice. And, and, you know, I've been called to the carpet for, for this as I've had discussions by my spiritual father as well. And so I want to preface this by saying, I am not advising that anybody go out and, and do psychedelics. Okay. Like I am definitely not advising that it is for some people. It is not for some people. If you are called to it, you will know, and it will, it will be presented to you. And if you do go through that set and setting is important. It's the most important mindset and the setting that you're in. It is not for recreation. It is not to be trifled with. And again, it's not for everybody, but I do communicate it. I do want to communicate it in that. I want to say having experienced something where there is no question and where it has been induced to a certain degree by chemicals, where it is undeniable 
then having an experience where there are no chemicals involved, but a specific practice brought you to a place where you recognize that you are entering the same space is a really good metric. It's maybe the, it is the human metric for knowing whether something is legit or not. Yeah. Yeah. Does it taste the same? Does it smell the same? Does it look the same? Does it feel the same? It is the same. And so it would be very difficult to judge in the same way that I can and to discern what is happening, whether, whether I am really feeling it, whether it's in my imagination or what, and then to be able to take it further, to understand how to take it further, right? From psychedelic journeying, as I'm sure you've, like, you know, if you've done a lot of psychedelics, you know, like, yeah, I know you yeah, can go yeah. deeper. If you want to go deeper, you can yeah. take it. You know how to take yourself deeper. There's a feeling about it. If you are like, this is too much. You can do things to bring yourself back up and not go deeper, right? And so I am not advising that people go out and do psychedelics. But what I am saying is that I can vouch for the legitimacy and the potency of the experience sure. that, is, yeah. that has been communicated through this tradition and still practiced to this day. That is, you know, it's at the, if you're a Westerner, this is, this is yours to have, it's at the root of your culture. It is your vernacular. It's part of your mimetic DNA, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't have to go and reach out to India or China or Japan or go into the jungles. You can. I have in the past. It, it, those still, while wonderful experiences, do still have the tinge of foreignness on them. Whereas for me, this practice has not, it has felt like home. And so that's, yeah, that mystical aspect, man, is like, if there's anything that I could get people to start being curious about, I would say it's that it's so potent and so important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you, you, you know, since getting into psychedelics, my worldview has expanded greatly. It's you, you're seeing like, for example, my, my, one of my, last experiences was a very high dose psilocybin experience, 11 grams uh, of psilocybin. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's a heroic and, dose. Yeah. And I've been, I've been doing them since 2014. So it's okay. kind of, part, it's part of my practice. It's part of my okay. ritual, you know? And so once every season, you know, um, change of the Got seasons, it. I go in like that, but this last one was a great teaching, you know, cause I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning. It's mm -hmm, at first it was mm -hmm. healing trauma wounds, mm -hmm. things like that, clearing the space. So new things can come in. And this last experience, what you were talking about with time, uh, I guess I said cyclical cassette, but um, can you say that word again? One more time. The, the, the third, the, the, the liturgical time. So the liturgy, time, yeah. yeah, the liturgy is the, is the ceremony. That's it's like the the whole entire ceremony that that climaxes with the Eucharist with communion, but it's right. a deep it's sim symbolism all the way through top to bottom. Yeah. So liturgical time. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this experience where if you ever saw um, the movie Interstellar, he's in that mm -hmm. tesseract at the end, mm -hmm. uh, and I had an experience like that, and I was like, oh, okay, like, but now hearing this from you, I'm I'm gonna now expand further on that. So that's, that's great. I'm going to go down that, that rabbit hole. Well, it gives color, it gives meaning, it gives uh, language to what I experience. It's in, in which, 
will now shape the reality that I want to create better mm-hmm. because I have mm-hmm. the language, I have the symbols to go there. So thanks for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, it's fascinating. Um, I, I really, I, I, I think this is uh this is kind of like mind blowing, almost like leaving me speechless because, you know, I, I heard Jordan Peterson in 2016 or 17, I got onto that whole thing and, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, this biblical series is great. Like I'm oh, yeah. really getting into this and stuff, but th- I don't know what happened to him. And, and, Oh, you know, I there, do. There, there's something. Yeah. Go, go. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the, so I, I attended one of the uh, biblical lectures. I went up to Toronto. When, so when he first said that he was going to do it, I basically I figured out what would be the time and I got my ticket, right? So when he first announced, I think the first one was in May, but he announced it in April. I made my plan. So I ended up being up there for August 1st, 2017, which weirdly enough, years later, as I was talking to a, a, another Bitcoin developer, he was like, oh, the day of the, the BTC BCH fork. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. I, was, I had given up on Bitcoin at that point. I was not following the stuff with the fork, not really closely. I did not, it did not register to me that that was the day. And then here I am working on Bitcoin Cash, right? But why it's significant is for three days after that, when I got home, I had, I guess what people would describe as like a road to Damascus moment that people have sometimes. I was not expecting to have it. I had not tried to induce myself into having it. I was completely... Uh, chemical free. Thank God my, my wife and young daughter at the time were in Russia. But for three days, I could not sleep. I could not eat. I, all I wanted to do was move, walk, walk around. I must have walked 10 miles a day each of those days. By the day two, I was seriously concerned that I had had a psychological break and that because I was, I felt like my body high was like intense uh, mushroom. It was like an intense psilocybin body high, but not really getting visuals, except if I tried to lay down and tried to sleep, then I would get tons of visuals, but I was getting a de- that download. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was getting sure. the download of information for three days. Yeah. Right. Sober. And, you know, some of the things that I, it's weird because some of the things that I received in that about where I would be and what I would be doing is exactly what I'm doing now, which is weird. Right. So you're like, was I being programmed at that moment? Like, was I being shown a vision of the future? And then you get into this time thing and it's like, well, what's the difference? Right. Like, there's, are they really two separate things? And, and so this was my experience as a person open to this and in us in that space being in an environment where Peterson is delivering this message, right? Yeah. So he's living inside of this message, but he's also not open to the spiritual experience. It's weird because he has this, he, I, somebody sent me over this clip of him talking with uh, Duncan Trussell, one of the, one of like Joe Rogan's kind oh, of people. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and yeah. it's back in who's a psychedelic guy. Right. Yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah. it, it makes sense that we're having the conversation here, but uh, it's like 2016, maybe, or early 17. He's talking to Duncan Trussell on, on Duncan's podcast. 
And Duncan asked him if he's ever had like a spiritual or psychedelic. And he says that there was this one time I had never heard him tell this story. And it's weird that he doesn't because it's, I was like, whoa, how have I never heard this? He's, why is he keeping this under wraps? He said, when he was writing Maps of Meaning, his book, his first book, he started making a sculpture that was like a 3D sculpture that he called the, the meaning of music. He was trying to like visually represent kind of like music as he, and as he's in the space of writing this book, right? And he says he sits down and he's listening to like Tchaikovsky or something like that. And then he's looking at the sculpture and he said, in his mind's eye, of course, right? He said, the heavens opened up like the Holy Spirit descended, basically. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit, but something descended. And then basically asked, was asking him to like, like take me on, right? So basically he's being called to prophethood. And he said, th this is the description of the prophets in the Old Testament and also right. Jesus when he's baptized by John and also me, the experience that I had bap being baptized by Jordan Peterson on August 1st, 2017. And he says that he said no. And he said that this thing, he could feel a dejection from it, and it left, receded. Mm. And so the thing is that you can't be living inside of this, taking on being this close to this energy. He's maybe is is not is deciding that he's not going to ingest it, but you can't rub uh, psilocybin all over your skin for two years. 24 hours a day and then not expect that it's going to take you where it wants to take you. And so what happened to him was he had a psychotic break and he had a psychotic break because, you know, which, you know, try to play it off like, Oh, you had akathisia from this, but why were you taking the medication in the first place? Right. Mm -hmm. What, what were you trying to knock down in the first place? It's like, right. Where's the, you're conflict? playing in the yeah. space. Yeah. You're playing yeah. in the space. And yeah, he, it's, it's what he needed was what the call was is accept that thing that happened to you. You need to fully accept that. And then you need to be like, okay, I don't have the tools. I don't have the spiritual tools to deal with this. And then you start looking for a tradition that does, whether that's in the East, whether that's in Christianity, whether that's in, you, you know, he's got this kakwakawak, uh, Carver, he should be reaching out to him and saying, what are the practices that you have? Is there a sweat lodge? Is there some sort of a, you know, thing that you do of isolation? Is there, what do I, is there plant medicine? Is there, what is there? Can you show me your shaman? I'm having this, he's a materialist mm. and we're entering into an age and he's, he's dealing with energies and stuff that it's like, it's just going to blow. If, if you think you can contain this inside of a materialist box, come on, man. Yeah. Come on, you can't. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the refusing of the call, the hero's journey, right? Like, in, and right. you are refuse even uh, with with the, the healers like the, would tell me that you if you refuse the call of, of shamanism, you, you suffer, you suffer mm -hmm. greatly. But if you answer the call, and it's also going to be challenging. Either way, it's going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. Which way do you want to go? You're go there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain, but there's going to be more of a reward and satisfaction when you're actually at peace 
with what's happening in yourself. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, you really do have to live within this stuff. I mean, that's a big point of contention in the psychedelic community is you have all these therapists and all these people, scientists and researchers and, uh, you know, who have never had a psychedelic experience talking about psychedelics and working in the field. And as Terrence McKenna says, you know, it's like going to a sex therapist who's a virgin, you know, it's like what you, you can't, what are you doing? You have to enter into it. You have to be willing to like, you know, and a big part of psychedelic work is surrendering into 100% unknown, you know? Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, this is again, the parallels. Uh, There's a great, there's a father, Peter Hears is his name. H E E R S. He's kind of, uh, he's becoming known, very articulate guy, uh, Orthodox priest, but is really super knowledgeable. He's got a lot of videos on, on YouTube and people interviewing him. And he just, he's knowledgeable about the history of the church, but also the, the, the doctrine, the dogma, the practices, all of that, the difference, especially the difference between uh, and where the split is with the Catholics, the Roman Catholics, like where that, the Latin split, like it's very important to know, I think, to understand those differences, to understand what is orthodoxy um, and, and how it happened historically. But he one of the first interviews I saw of him, one of the first things that he said where I was like, made my ears just perk up. Like, what is this? Is that he said, you know, when we talk about a theologian in the Orthodox church, you can't be an academic theologian. It goes to exactly what you're saying. He's like, there is no, I read the book and I know this and we call you a theologian. No, you have to be experiencing the, the, practice of prayer, feeling the Holy Spirit, pursuing uh, theoria and having those experiences, because only then can you properly understand what is being communicated in the scriptures and by the saints who are having these experiences. So like the scriptures, if you go to the gospels, they are written by, and certainly revelation, and certainly anything that Paul is writing, any of his epistles. So that's pretty much the entire new testament new testament it's written by people who have experienced miracles who in some cases had saw a risen jesus christ who blew the holy spirit onto them like that's who's writing this so if you aren't pursuing that same tangible experience how can you understand what the hell they're writing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's because it's not in the just in the words Right. That's like if somebody writes about an ayahuasca experience, it's exactly like you say. Yeah. And I've never had an ayahuasca experience. Can I really understand anything that they've read? Anything. And so when he said that, that like, no, in the Orthodox Church, you can't be an academic theologian. That just doesn't work. I was like, ah, aha. Okay. Yes. There's mysticism at work. There's mysticism at work in my own culture, and I've been lied to that it doesn't exist. I've been lied to that this isn't the basis of my culture. Okay. Okay. And so, obviously, you know, with my background, it was like beeline and and being presented with the opportunity. It's like I'm making a beeline for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is what I think the one of the problems with a lot of libertarians and libertarianism in general is because there's there's no inclusion of this larger stranger world you know and and this the, the mystical world the the alchemical world uh the the world of of 
you know, felt the felt presence of direct experience, right? Like it, it seems to be this sort of one-sided, we're just going to like push this message forward. Um, yeah. And, and that's sort of where my departure was, you know, I was on part of the problem with Dave Smith and, and, you know, I would, I felt like I would constantly bring up kind of more magical or consciousness type things or try and bring that into the show a little bit more. And sometimes they would seep in, but he seemed to kind of just be more interested in the sort of daily minutiae, the short game, not the long game. Like you were saying, the long, the long history here, the, the generational, the doubt, the, you know, what, what we're, what we're, what we've been talking about. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm wondering if, because I always thought that, wow, these ideas of Liberty really fuse well with this idea with, with the experience of psychedelics, man, does this like really connect? And then it was just like, okay, let me like build on it, keep building on it, keep building on it. But for some reason, and I don't know, maybe you know, you have maybe you have a good answer to this. What is wrong with libertarians right today? It is what's wrong with the entire culture. Yeah. It's very strange of all of the. Well, so you can't derive an ought from an is. That's Hume's guillotine, right? So this is where we have to have the merging of the material and the mystical. So you cannot derive what you ought to do in a given situation by the, let's say, empirical measurable facts about the moment that you are in right now, right? So what you ought to do does not come from there. And libertarians, I think if we're going to trace the moment, the catalyzing moment that would be the birth, where we would say the birth of libertarianism as it is understood, let's say by those who would register as libertarians in the libertarian party, right? In the LP, they register as libertarians. If we were to say, what was the catalyzing moment for that, that, that defined and when their ideology was born, we could say it is July 4th, 1776, and it is the Declaration of Independence. And that it is the statement within there that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, chief among these, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's the root. Endowed by their creator. You can't be an atheist libertarian. You can't be a non-mystical libertarian because your entire ideology rests on a foundation that an omnipotent creator of the universe made you in his image and likeness and through so doing gave you specific enumerated rights. So somebody who's like, I have the right to own a gun, Second Amendment, I have the free speech. Free speech is valuable. You know, that's a cultural artifact that didn't exist before Christianity. That is, in, that is a Christian ideal. It comes from out of the Christian story, and it is based on the fact that you are made in the image and likeness of God and that we are all made in the image and likeness of the same God. 
without that story, the, there is no First Amendment. Without that story, there are no natural rights. Yes, those natural rights come from nature because God made nature. It is not natural rights is that you cannot be an atheist and believe in natural rights. You cannot be non-mystical and believe in natural rights. And so you, you, are, you will be incredibly ineffective if you are going to build a movement on no foundation. You, you have to have the mystical foundation. And the, the beauty of this is that anyone who explores the mystical foundation, as it sounds like that has, has been a passion for you and for me as well, you don't need any of the rest. You get to exactly where they are in a much more powerful way, and you can speak from deep experience and first principles. You can build the house from the ground up. I don't need you to read Rothbard. I don't need you to read four volumes of human action. I don't need you to do any of those things because I can speak to you at the first principle from the creator. Yeah from the creator. And if you don't do that, then what you need is you need all this weird uh, uh, appeal to authority stuff. You need all this weird shit at the top. And especially you need institutions. You're unable to stand on your own. You need to take over the libertarian party because you need a party. You can't stand on the firm foundation that was given to you that the founding fathers stood on, because what are they standing on? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That is a first principle. There's no, oh, you need to read some Rousseau and some Locke and some Smith, which they had done, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, no, it's none of that. It's like, let's talk about first principles. What is self-evident? Well, we're all created by God. We're going to, we're, we're starting there. We're no argument. Okay. Since we're all created in the image and likeness of God, life, he gave us that. Can't take it away. Liberty, freedom, free will. Can't take it away. It was the pursuit of property initially. It's Lockean idea, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? But there's the political slave issue. That's really, see, this was their own failing and corruption, which men are always corrupted, right? Sure. But it's yeah, like, of course, really, yeah. if, they, if they would have said pursuit of property, it's like, oh, well, we've got, we, now we can deal in the truth, but okay, it's a, a little bit of propagandistic. Sure. Pursuit of happiness still. And it's just like, let's just talk from there. Because if you don't believe that we were all created by the same God and that we haven't all been endowed by, by that God with those rights, then it's not going to matter what else we do up here. It's not going to matter what else we do at this academic level. We have disagreed on the foundation of this whole thing. And this is what's wrong with libertarians. They're trying to work from the top down instead of from the bottom up. See, because if you work from the bottom up, you can even over time and with care transform a Marxist fall down to what we both believe in. Then let's get to, we don't even know where we, where the point is, where we disagree. 
fall to where what we both believe. Then let's get to the point where we disagree. Do you even know that you believe this if you're a Marxist? Because it may very well be that you get to that point and they didn't even understand that this is the foundation that Marxism sits on. Mm-hmm. And then if they're like, wait, 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 so I have to believe this to believe all the rest? Yes, you do. But I don't believe that. Then you don't believe that. Mm. Yeah, it all falls down. It all falls down. It's a house of cards. But if we're arguing at the top, if we're shooting at each other from the parapets, we're blowing it. Yeah. And you don't need an LP. You don't need a libertarian party. You don't need party politics at all. If what we're if all we're trying to do is to spread liberty. Yeah. First, you believe it. Then you embody it. You show people the example and then you articulate it. And that's it. It's powerful enough on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's coming up for me is this feeling of like, well, the messaging and, oh, separation of church, you know, and state kind of thing. Right. And like in, in, in spreading a message, there's, there's always these sacrifices that people make where it's like, well, we, we, let's not talk about that because that's not going to reach mass appeal or let's not like put Christianity into libertarianism because we don't want people to run away or be scared off or something like Dude, that. Think about that though. Think about that yeah, for one second. Yeah, right? yeah. Think, think about, think about how completely <laughs> counterintuitive and ahistorical a thought like that is and how, how completely historically ignorant you have to be. So it's like, let's not put in this story that begins with one man who then gets 12 other guys to believe in it. And within 300 years, he's executed by the Romans. And within 300 years, the center of Rome is him. And there's billions now, still 2,000 years later, there's billions of people who still are, are venerating that story and have given their lives, have died willingly as martyrs for that story. Let's not. That's no good. Let's <laughs> that's that we couldn't possibly use that. That's good. It's, it's just going to scare people away. It's like, are you you're. I hate to use the word, but you're retarded. You're mm-hmm. actually retarded. <laughs> you're actually retarded if you believe that. Because you, everything of your lived existence tells you something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was watching a Louis C.K. special from a couple, day, uh, a couple years ago. And he uh, said he was talking about the power of Christianity. And he's like, I'll, I'll, get, I'll prove to you how powerful it is. And he just goes, what year are we in? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want, man? Right. Yeah. What do you but let's no, let's not. That's a bad story. That mm. story, that story won't grip anybody. That story won't allow us to change the world. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. It's the yeah. only story that's changed what that it's the story that made your world. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's so successful that it's copied. And as you brought up Campbell, comparative mythology, the monomyth, you know, the inspecting all these stories from all over cultures, various time periods. It's all the the same thing. Well, and your opponents are using it. Yeah. Your opponents are using it. Yeah. The Republicans are using it. The Democrats are using it. Look how much they're talking about. Joe Biden is a is a 
a devout Catholic and he's look at, you know, he goes to church every Sunday. It's like your opponents are using it. Yeah. If it wasn't a good weapon, don't you? How did they get there? How did they get in control? Why do you have one percent or less of the vote and they have control over everything? Go ahead. Don't use any of their weapons. Good call. Loser. And I mean, loser in a technical sense. Yeah. Like you have lost the battle because you because you are able to use the same weapons that they are using to win and to defeat you every single time. And you literally look at it on the table and say, that's a terrible that's going to turn people off and turn them away. We can't possibly pick that up and use it, even though it's right there. And it's like, loser. Yeah. You lost. Yeah. So an- an- another another thing that I could think of as uh, as being kind of a way where, you know, I know that uh, Ron Paul was a big influence for uh, Dave, Dave Smith, and and he was also a big influence for me as well. Um, and, and me I, as well. I, and me as and, well. And, and you. OK, great. Right. So exactly. But 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 it's uh it's kind of like this, you know, and a lot of people have, have been like, yeah, he like woke a lot of people up and everything, but then what? Right. Um, but I, I always remember him saying that he, he ran on like a bully pulpit, you know, he ran just to spread the messages and the ideas of Liberty. So is there some kind of, um, I don't know, is there something to that or is there still something missing from that? And I, I think I'm kind of leaning towards a little bit of like, there's still something kind of missing towards that because it's not incorporating the totality of our, of our human experience now, which is the door, the floodgates are open. And we are, as you say, in this mystical age, you know, the, the culture is changing exponentially, all kinds of things are happening. So is it not, is it not valuable to get into a party and just, just to preach a message, essentially. So the first thing is Ron Paul. Okay, let's take this from a couple of different steps, right? Let's take it from a couple of different steps. So modeling is very important. It's the key to success. So if you want to have success at anything that you're doing, you pick someone who has success and then you do exactly what they do. So... For instance, like, you know, I was on TV and on a show where I had to have my shirt off. So bodybuild, bodybuilding. Yeah, I, th- was I it, thought yeah. you were just saying modeling is key. Like everyone no. needs to be a male no. model. Role, role model. Role, role, <laughs> yeah, yeah. role, what we would call role model. So model, modeling your behavior. In, in other words, model, model meaning ideal. So I would use the term idealization. Same, it means the same thing as modeling. So p- you pick an ideal. And then you behave in that way. So it's like, so it's like, let's say that you want to be, let's say it's an athlete, right? Let's say you're really into baseball, right? You want to be the greatest hitter ever, right? You want, you want to have the, the most home runs and the highest batting average on your team. What do you do? You look to a current pro, for instance, and this is what every good athlete does. You look to a current pro who's the best at doing exactly what you want to do. And you do everything. What time do they wake up? What do they eat for breakfast? What do they eat for lunch? What is their workout? How many swings do they take per day? What time do they go to sleep? Literally everything. Why? Why do you do every single thing? Because you don't know which one of those things it is. And until you know, you don't change. 
what you're doing. So you model yourself after the person that has success. You find as much information about them and you model yourself exactly after them. And anyone who has extraordinary success, if you look back at them, they will tell tell you exactly that. There's a great story, uh, you know, CeeLo Green, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Crazy and all of that, right? He was, he was in Goody Mob, and but then he like broke out. And, and now, I don't know, he hosts the, things like The Voice and things like that, right? So CeeLo Green, super famous. I remember, I, I think it was like he was being interviewed on maybe NPR or something like that. Terry Gross was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, how did you learn to sing? Did you like learn to sing in church? Which is like the automatic assumption as a black guy who could sing, right? And he said, no. No, I didn't. I, I actually was never like in a church choir and my family weren't really church going. He said, my family had a bunch of old Jackie Wilson records. And what I did was I put on these Jackie Wilson records and I would just sing along with the records until you couldn't distinguish my voice from Jackie Wilson's. And I just did this for like a year. And then I sound like Jackie Wilson. I've got Jackie Wilson's voice. That's exactly what I mean by modeling. Right? Exactly. Here's Jackie Wilson's voice. Do I sound like it? Do I say, no, exact, 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 exact. Boom. And what? Now I'm, now I can be a, a, a world-class singer. Now I can have Grammy nominated songs. Now I can have a number one hit song. Now people love my voice. So, so let's say that you do want to, so, so it's Ron Paul. Okay. So model yourself after Ron Paul is Ron, was Ron Paul in the libertarian party? No, he ran as a Republican in 08 ah, and, and 12. Yeah. Ah, did, was he ever, did he ever as a congressman run as anything other than a Republican? Didn't he in, in 88 run as a libertarian? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Did he I stay as a libertarian? Re- no, no, he didn't. No. So that yeah. should tell you something. Yeah. That it's like, well, if you are going li- the libertarian party route, you're not really following Ron Paul, are you? You're not really modeling yourself after Ron Paul because you would know nothing about Ron Paul had he been running as a libertarian. The reason Ron Paul was able to wake people up was because he was able to get the Republican stage. They have the platform. So what he did was he hijacked the Republican platform. Now, if Dave Smith and others were doing that, were going that route, And they were saying, look, we know that we can't win as Republicans, okay? but the Republicans have a gigantic platform. And if we follow Ron Paul's model, maybe even with Ron Paul's help and the other liberty minded people in the Republican Party, we can at least hijack the platform and then maybe get on to be saying these things within the Republican Party. We can be the the libertarian wing. And they tried this with the Freedom Caucus or whatever, the Mm -hmm. libertarian wing. Right. And we find that somebody who's charismatic enough or whatever, and we go that route. If they were doing that, I would say you're on a path to success. Why would I say that? I would say that because that path has been walked by someone who was deeply influential to every libertarian I know. You're not doing that. You're not making your voice sound like Jackie Wilson. You're listening to Jackie Wilson records saying that's a great voice and then trying to sing over Jackie Wilson as Frank Sinatra. You're the guy who wants to be the 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 best hitter and have the most home runs. And yet you're following along with somebody who's who, you know, barely gets up to bat because they're a pitcher. You're following their regime. 
And I'm saying that's that's not the path. <laughs> what are you yeah. doing? Yeah, I don't think you're not you're not embodying you're not embodying even the the archetype and the model that you're claiming to follow. So you cannot utilize and say, well, Ron Paul did it. Okay, well, are you doing anything that Ron Paul did? Are you modeling yourself after him in any way? No. Yeah. Well, it's it's not just the message. It's not just the content of the message. Right, 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 right. That's actually the least the least important thing is what Ron Paul said. The most important thing was that he was on that stage and he was fearless. Mm, mm-hmm. It wouldn't have mattered what he said. He could have said literally anything and he would have gotten people's attention in the same way. Mm-hmm. He spoke from principle, from his heart, with no fear on one of the biggest and what should be a scariest stage. And he's a little man yeah, with a weird little voice. But yet the heart of a lion and it was his heart, not his message. The message was pure and righteous. And that was why he was able to have that heart. He knew he was right. That's what people got. That's not what I'm seeing. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that that is that feeling, that undeniable feeling when you receive that transmission, you get that direct experience and that element of mystical time comes back in and it brings you into this sort of, you know, divine moment. And you are moved by something that you might not be able to fully articulate or explain, but you know, I want to be around that energy. Yes. And that was, you know, and it was the you know, they had they had the Ron Paul revolution things and then they would switch it around so that it said love. Mm-hmm. And a weird, very weird. Right. Because it's not like Ron Paul. It's not some like flower child getting up talking about peace and love. But those who behave in righteousness are always seen to be acting out of love because he risked a lot. Yeah, he risked a lot. He there was it was there was no guarantee that him getting up there and bucking the status quo and going against and attacking members of his own party who were going to be the nominee, by the way, there was no guarantee that that wasn't the end of his political career. Every time he stepped on that stage, that was a real risk. That that was the end of something he had dedicated his life to, that it was going to turn on him. It was, it was not a foregone conclusion that he was going to have the impact that he did, but he chose to act anyway because it was the righteous thing to do. And that is what moved me, and that is what moved you, and that is what moved Dave. Not the words coming out of his mouth. The conviction sure, yeah, of totally. his character is what yeah. moved us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hell, hell yeah, man. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's. I remember the moment watching one of the debates and I forget exactly which one, because like you said, it's not, it wasn't about necessarily what he said, but the memory for me is holy shit. This guy is breaking the matrix right now. Yes. Yes. That, that like it, it there's a veil just like lifted between like yes. under, you know my eyes and i was like i see the light you know and actually i told mark claire i had an ayahuasca experience where where ron paul showed up <laughs> it was great it was <laughs> well, great because you know that that don't like we would laugh at that right but ron paul is the pattern of the prophet yeah like if you read the old testament prophets 
you know, my, my uh, spiritual father, we were having a conversation and he said, you need to go and read Amos short chapter. Never had never read it in my life. Right. I had, I haven't read all the prophets short prophet chapter. And there's a, there's the key section in there is, you know, he goes and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's given these prophecies and he goes and the chief priest is like, go back to where you're from and, and, you know, basically make your bread there. He thinks that this guy is like being a prophet for money. Right. So it's like, yeah, go, go over there and, you know, just get, get out of here. Cause they've erected a golden calf. And he says that Israel is about to be destroyed. And he says, I, I didn't want to be a prophet. I'm a shepherd. I was very happy to be tending to my sheep. I was very happy to just be living the pastoral life that I was living, but God made, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I have no desire to be here, but I've been called here and I'm not going to deny the call. And that was what you felt from Ron Paul. Did Ron, does Ron Paul really want to be doing this you get the feeling constantly that he wishes people would just wake the hell up so (laughs) he could just get a rest so he could rest you know like and that's and that comes through so when i see these people who want want to be in the libertarian party who want to be doing all of these things, who want to be taking over the LP, who want to be establishing some fringe fringe of a fringe side group that believes in this, this, and this, and that's the best way to to run this organization that that will never win any elections. I see people who are out, not who are not called by God. I see people who are not called by their principles. I see people who are called by their narcissism. Mm. That's what I see. And look, hey, people could... Call, call me out, right? It's not like I have not lived my, my own life in some ways. And it's not like you can't look back through my history when I have done things in a self-serving manner. And it's not like sure. I don't, it's not like I don't fail at that either. Call me out. If you see me doing that, if that's how my behavior is, anybody listening or watching or whatever, call me out. I'm not somebody special. I'm no saint, but I am going to call it like I see it. Mm-hmm. And I certainly and I and I certainly am trying and I certainly am trying to be aware and I try to catch myself. And it's one of the things that I've that, that I've tried to do in my spiritual practice is to keep that awareness and the thankfulness and to say, who who am I serving right now? Yeah. Right. Well, sure. Well, sure. I mean, that's 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 the balance. Right. I mean, it's like we're constantly remembering and forgetting mm-hmm. and, you know, having that balance. Like it's that's that's the work. That's the path We're we're sort of, you know, built that way. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, and, and and not like any not like I've gotten any uh, direct communication from anybody, uh, you know, about the things we're talking about, that these are the, you know, the things that they're thinking or whatever. But I'm just kind of like, you know, making some uh, just, just thinking about maybe some reasons why or something, because I, I don't necessarily think it, it's true. I mean, Dave, if you're listening, you have to go back to, to the foundation be like Ron Paul, start delivering babies. How about that? How about we, how about <laughs> well, we go well, there? I want to see Dave well, Smith well, hold on. 100 babies. <laughs> hold on. That's actually kind of a big deal. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually a kind of a big formative deal. So, uh, you know, I can't separate where I am now 
from the journey that I've taken for better or worse. Right. And the things that have informed me about the life that I've lived, the people that I've met, the mistakes that I've made, the things that I've gotten right, the, the aspects of life that I have been privy to that many people are not privy to. Most people are not privy to life coming into this world and seeing brand new life as a regular part of their life and being responsible for the healthy delivery. Childbirth is a dangerous time for woman and child. Throughout our history, that has been a moment of death. Death is as close as new, new life is as close as death in that moment. We have forgotten this, but this is the nature of that moment. It is a, a it, the, the worlds are, they, they are fused together. <laughs> this, the spirit world and the afterlife and this world are fused together in that moment for both mother, child, and everybody else around. It is a spiritual moment. Yeah. And if you want to know from where does that, can Ron Paul have such righteousness? He's brought children into this world. If you do that and you are a righteous man, you feel a responsibility to make the world a place for those children. And you feel a deep sense of guilt if you have not. Uh, yeah. So to see it form, of course that forms him. Of course of course, feeling a responsibility for bringing life into this world is going to translate into a responsibility to make the world a better place. Of course it does. And so, no, you haven't delivered. Yes, you're right. That's a good place to start. Instead of trying to take over some political party, go do something where you're responsible for the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the real world where life is and death are on the line, go be responsible. Maybe then I will think that you are qualified Yeah, to have some political power of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, y- y- this is, well, thanks for, for, for taking that and running with it because I was, I was just joking, but you made up a, a you made a great point here because it's leading me to think about just this sort of insulated world, this sort of insulated materialist world where especially now everything is sort of this uh, far away abstraction. And we're mm-hmm. really, uh, we, 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 we are really not connected with the process of life from birth to death. Um, you know, I know several people that are death doulas and birth doulas. Yes, and, I do too. And, yeah. And, and so it's, you know, I mean, here in Denver, Colorado, just the world that I'm in, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really about sort of getting back to these principles of fully being in this human body in this life and, and recognizing the power of the transcendent directly, you know? And so, maybe this is a segue into our conversation, like talking about the dim age and what that is. Um, and I know you're, you're a fan of, which I'm, I'm really excited about your fit. Cause I've heard you talk about star Wars and Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and, and things like this, which I am too. I'm a hu- huge fan because there's so much greatness to be extracted out of these yes. stories. And so I'm wondering, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Vin, what is the dim age? And why are we heading there or why are we in that? Well, I think you just stated the why. Okay, the why, cool. <laughs> the why, yeah, the why is a disconnection from 
It's a disconnection from the material world, really. And that's for better or worse. And it's a disconnection from, let's say, the suffering of the material world. So there are, there is the abstract reality the, for human beings. This is, is the, the mental, the spiritual, the emotional rides between the two in many ways. Um, you know, even at a biological level, like the Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, Eastern medicine certainly recognizes that the glandular system, the endocrine system has a connection to the spiritual and it's that so is tied up with emotion. And it's also interestingly enough, the thing that the wokes are constantly trying to manipulate, right? Mm. Hormones, hormones, Mm, right? They're constantly, Oh, you manipulate that. You're manipulating what all of these ancient traditions have said is your connection. That's where your chakras. This is, they've said that is your connection to the other realm. This is where this is, that's the system where it crosses over, right? You want to mess with that? You are cutting off your connection. Okay. Or you're at least altering it. Right. So, We have literally and figuratively severed a connection. And the connection that we've severed now is the the connection between the, the spiritual and the material. When there's balance, they will reflect back on each other as above, so below. That the undeniable truth of the body is the undeniable truth of the spirit. The spirit affects the body. The body affects the spirit. They are related to one another. If I am sick, I have a dis-ease. There is a spiritual component. There is an emotional component. There is a mental component. We actually know this. We know this because the placebo effect is real. People don't realize how high in studies the placebo, the placebo effect can be 30%. Mm-hmm. 30% of people in, in med- medical studies is common that you give them a sugar pill and they're healed in the exact same way as someone given the actual pharmaceutical. And it's just not, it's, it's, they, they correct for it because right. they know it's going to be there. They just correct for it. <laughs> they don't study it. It's like, wait, well, of course not because you can't patent a sugar pill. Right. But a mystic would be like, we need to not even think about the pharmaceutical. We need to figure out how to get this sugar pill efficacy up. We're at 30% efficacy of a sugar pill. Let's work on that, right? (laughs) Like if it can heal at 30%, can it do 50? Can it do 70? Can it do 90? (laughs) That's the path, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the material world and the spiritual world interacting and reflecting back on one another. And we realize, oh, there's more to this reality. And that's the expansion of consciousness is the, the body and the mind. Where we've moved to is, as you say, we are disconnected. When was the last time somebody saw a, maybe somebody sees some roadkill, right? But when was the last time the average person, the average American who eats meat saw the slaughtering of the animal that they are consuming? Most people of that animal. Right. Yeah. Most people never in their lives. Never in their lives. Mm -hmm. And they've eaten how many animals? For our ancestors, that would be unthinkable. No, I slaughtered that animal. I did it this afternoon. What are you talking about? Not only did I slaughter it and skin it, I hunted it. I raised it. From a child. 
right? Or even see the, the fruit picked that you eat that we don't even have to go to animals being slaughtered. We could go simpler than that. Yeah. See yeah. the, see the grain that was made into the bread, the potato that was, that's in your French fries, right? To our ancestors, the thought that, and for some people it is never, I mean, there are, there are plenty of people in America who have never seen the exact thing that they've put in their mouth be picked, slaughtered, hunted, raised any of it think about that level of disconnection mm. now that's at the most base base level so you're already disconnected from the from life and death there never mind actually witnessing the death of relatives and those you're close to right being in the room with the dead body going through those rituals as our ancestors of course did right birth the same way it's sterilized. It's hidden behind closed doors. And of course, that extends to everything else. We don't know how anything is made. And so we have disconnected from the reality of the physical world in such a way that everything that happens from our food to our technology to this to that to where does the electricity come from? How does the water come to my house? Where does my shit go? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where does my shit go? Right. Do you know? Do you know? Probably not. It's hidden. The dirty, stinky, messy aspects of life. The real work, the sweat, has been hidden from our view. It does not, and if it's hidden from our view as humans, it does not exist. Oh, I take a crap and it magically, what? Goes away. And even the people who are you know, marching for climate change. Ask them. Ask them. Like, how are you going to fix the environment if you don't even know where, what, where your contribution to environmental de degradation is? You don't even know where yours goes. The, 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 what just came out of your body and is p polluting. You don't even know what's happening with that. And you're telling me that I should give you some political power so you can tell corporations what to do. Go fuck yourself. Seriously. You're a moron. I don't, I, I, nothing. So this is where we've reached. So most people are walking around in a world of magic right now. It's just magic. Everything that happens is magic. My food appears magically. My poop goes away. Magically, our ancestors knew exactly where their shit went. Yeah, they had to deal with it. If they didn't deal with it properly, they died. It's a big deal. Like, it's a big deal. That was something they had to get right every day, all day. Because it would kill them if they got it wrong and it would kill their children and it would kill their animals. Everybody would die. We're completely disconnected at the most base level. And so we've entered into an age of magic. So now everything is magic. So now we don't have to obey the rules. We can just make shit up. Everything could be theoretical. There's no feedback of your behavior. Oh, you want to change your gender. You want to do that. Okay. You want to tear down this institution. You want to, why is that statue there that you just ripped down? Are your ancestors stupid? Every culture has put up statues. That's weird. Do you think that's arbitrary? 
Do you think that's arbitrary or do you think maybe those statues served a purpose that kept your ancestors alive? Do you think human, human beings who are on the verge of life and death, as our ancestors were, just lightly put up statues? They all did it. Do you think that they would waste their time if it didn't have a purpose? Do you know the purpose? Chesterton's fence. Do you know what might happen if you take it down? If you don't know why it was put there in the first place, you certainly don't know what problem it solved because they put it there to solve a problem. If you don't know what problem it solves, you're going to get that problem 10 times worse. And that's what we're experiencing. Mm. We're pulling down all the solutions but we've forgotten the problem. We've forgotten the problem that that solution solved. We got so good. And so now everything is going to be lost as we are seeing. Hmm. Everything is lost. There was just a report, New York Post, Amish community, large Amish community, I believe Ohio or Pennsylvania, they've reached herd immunity for COVID-19. What did they do? Oh, well, the first two weeks, they like social distance and stuff. But then they were like, well, we can't stop going to church. It's way more important that we go to church. <laughs> if we get sick, we get sick. I mean, we've dealt with plagues before. We did, we've been through this. I mean, if people die, people die. Okay. Well, guess what? Next to nobody died. And now they have herd immunity. Wow. Huh. Just follow tradition and you beat COVID like that. No, it's brand new, novel coronavirus. We don't know how to solve this. It's a magical, it's a magical invisible enemy that knows what time you're out. We need some curfews. Don't go out past 10 because this virus knows. Right, right. Is, it, is, right. It, is, it, is it six feet, Dr. Fauci, or three feet? Well, we thought it was six, but, you know, now the studies are coming out. It's saying that it's three. Oh, does it, is it? The masks work or they don't. Well, we don't really know enough about this virus yet. So, you know, any mask is good. Like not just this. Oh, it's first. It's got to be an N95. You don't have an N95. No, a cloth mask is fine. A bandana is actually fine. It doesn't really matter. Oh, just. Yeah. Oh, no. And you need to wear that outside. And like, oh, no. and it's just like, dude. Bro. <laughs> this is because you've ripped everything down. You've ripped yeah. tradition down. You've ripped everything down. So now here comes a problem and you have nothing to stand on. But go ahead. Keep ripping the statues down. Keep demolishing the institutions. Keep thinking that your ancestors were morons, even though they were so more connected to the real world than you are. But go ahead. Keep thinking they were incompetent, illiterate morons who didn't know how the world works and that you're much better as you sit playing on your Nintendo DS. Go ahead. Mm, yeah that's the dim age wow felt that <laughs> yeah um what what's coming to my mind right now is this uh notion that like wow we're you know we're in this great period and we have connect look at this this is great we're able to connect across the world and we're able to do all these things and you know i always make the same joke on on my podcast like you know we we think our idea of progress is efficiency that like an amazon delivery drone is going to be able to come <laughs> in and drop a hot dog in my mouth while i keep <laughs> typing to crush my spreadsheets you know and it's like that's ridiculous but i i'm i'm just thinking about this idea of history fading into oblivion because yeah. the onslaught of inform information or just 
content, whatever you want to call it, everything is accessible all the time, every second of the day. So is, do you think it's like, it's sort of eroding like this, this idea of the past and tradition. And it's now all like, it's like, I can't even remember because there was a thousand things that happened between now mm -hmm. and three weeks ago. And there's this show to stream and there's that thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we just have this like, uh, you know, sort of orgy, porgy, hedonistic sort of mentality about us where it's just like everything goes and it's fine as long as I get to do what I want to do. So it, it, you, do you think that that's like a part of it as well, that we're just kind of so rooted in the future and the past is, and, and we have all this information cluttering the way or all this content that's cluttering the way that it makes it impossible to like recall the past even? Yes, there's a so there's a big issue with value here. And this was actually a big part of my first book, Dow of the Gigolo. And, you know, I say that I can't separate where I am from my story. And so, you know, people people may or may not know that I, that, uh, you know, for for many years in the 2010s, I was a, a straight male escort, a gigolo and ended up as a star of a a hit TV show on Showtime that was a reality show, basically following me and some other guys around that. It, and it became a cold hit, you know, very highly rated and all of that. But in, and in the meantime, it was a great marketing for my business. There were a lot of things that I started to understand about value being in that business. And, and it's uh, again, it's having like Ron Paul delivering babies. It's having a glimpse at aspects of the world that most people will never get a chance to have a glimpse at. One of the initial, what was it? Critique, comments, whatever you might say about the show, when people started to see it, the reporters and whatnot, they said, well, this has to be fake. This is fake. They were like, these attractive, successful women, they're not paying these guys to do this. No woman would pay for sex or anything like that. They wouldn't do that. And they, they, were, they were right that no woman would pay for sex. But they didn't think about, well, then... Maybe it is real, but these women are paying for something else. And like, what is it that they're paying for? And what would be worth these thousands of dollars? Because it was very real. And that's how I was making my living. And so my book, Dow of the Gigolo, is basically like an exploration of value in that regard. And one of the things that you're getting at about remembering or not remembering is this is like the Petersonian value hierarchy right here. So we have value hierarchies. Mm -hmm. The things that we, you know, when we say an unforgettable experience, when we really say that was an unforgettable experience, what we're saying is that was an experience of incredibly high value to me. That was something that in my value hierarchy, it will not be deleted. If I have limited space and attention, this is where my attention will go, right? It's all about attention. And this is one that somebody, somebody commented on this today that they were like, well, why do you, why do you hide your, the, your content or whatever, your information? Why do you hide it behind paywalls? Why do you, why do you make people pay in crypto for your books? And you make people pay for your classes and you make them do all of these things. And, and what I said to this person was like, well, if, if I gave you something, gave you knowledge, gave you wisdom, and I didn't expect you to give me anything in return, do I really think that I'm giving you something valuable? 
Or if you wanted something from me, but you didn't, but you, you didn't want to give me anything in return, do you really think it's valuable? Mm. And the wisdom and the knowledge that I have, I paid a lot for. I paid a price <laughs> and I know the price that I paid and I've got the scars to prove it. I paid a price for that wisdom. And so what we have is we have a situation where everything is free. So everything is disposable. Mm. Like you're saying, well, there's this content and this content and this content and this content. Well, not if you had to pay for all of it, there's not. And that's, that is the big thing that has changed. So let's say a movie, right? Movies are pretty movies, series, all of this is pretty much disposable at this point. Right. You go, you watch it. It's like you can watch however many on Netflix or whatever, streaming on Amazon Prime and all that. Man, when you had to when everybody had to go and pay for a ticket to sit in a movie theater to watch a movie that was that had just come out, when everybody had to do that, even the movie studios wouldn't just put anything out. Now they'll they put out as much as they can. The studios, Mm -hmm. they don't care. Like we'll put out any. There's no quality control. The same thing goes for music. You know, I ran a record label back in the day when where uh, it was electronic music and it was vinyl that we actually were selling. We can't just put anything out. Like we have to be discerning about like we've got to know that it's going to sell. There's an actual real cost to us. It's not like I'll just throw out anything on SoundCloud and see what sticks. It's free to me. It's free. I could just I could I could shit on I could shit on the microphone and it's just like, who cares? Literally. Yeah. But and and so it's about value. What we've reached is we've reached a situation where we don't even know what to value in terms of ideas because it's all free. You know, Mm -hmm. I so Jordan Peterson put his lectures out on on video and the lecture that I attended is on YouTube. But I paid money for a ticket and then a plane flight and hotel to Toronto to attend in person. And there was maybe 300 people and then got there early and finagled my way with the person I was with to get a great seat. And then afterwards I had this crazy spiritual experience. I would not have had that experience had I just been watching it on YouTube. What date was that again? August 1st, 2017. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I just was, uh, remembering i don't i don't mean to stop no go ahead there, but because i also had a uh, profound spiritual experience but it was on april 1st 2017 uh april that was Fool's a big year Day. yeah that was a that was a big year i've encountered a lot of people who had uh, something transformative happen and i think that that's it's part of the call it's part of the call people were people knew that something was coming like we know this within our being you know and and that kind of gets to the point that with all of this disposable information, what we have is incredible amounts of, of noise. Uh-huh. The yeah. noise to signal ratio is horrible, horrible. But let's take somebody like a Terrence McKenna, right? Terrence McKenna was making his living as a, a public intellectual outside of academia. Right. At a time when that was really, really hard to do. 
But look at the price that he paid. Look at his life that he had to lead. Look at the experiences that he had to have and the level of wisdom embodied and practiced that he had to have attained before that was even possible. Same goes for people like Alan Watts. Right? But not today. Not today. How do you, how do you discern the Terrence McKenna and the Alan Watts, the signal from out of the noise of today? It's almost impossible. Mm. I will guarantee you those people are around, but do you think that they have hundreds of thousands of followers? Probably not. On, right. on, on social media and whatnot? Probably not. Because they're not even, they're concerned about living it. They're not concerned about getting the followers is ancillary. What's Ter- did Terrence McKenna really care how many sh- people showed up to his lectures? Do you think that, they, it, that the nature of his lecture would change if there was five people or if there was 500? Of course not. He'd probably enjoy the five people more. Yeah, I, I just see him saying like, well, before I get into it, I just like you to <laughs> Perfect. S- smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? And what's crazy about it is he was one of the biggest proponents of the early Internet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if he saw the state that social media was in and how it is and how the noise is drowning out the signal of the people who can move the culture forward, he would be aghast. Aghast. Mm-hmm. And and so this is this is very much like this is this is the problem and systems correct themselves. So these systems are going to censor them sh- themselves into a situation where on small platforms, people are going to people are going to find these other individuals and the people who are able to utilize what we have to, to maximize it, they're going to be successful. And it isn't, it, it's, it's through the censorship that the, it's cutting down a lot of the noise and the signal will cut through. Mm. So in some ways, it's like, it's just a natural process of evolution. It's our culture doing its thing. It's like when a species eats itself out of its habitat and only the strong survive. Mm. Yeah. That's that's where we're at. So it's a problem, but it is a, it's self-correcting, as all cultural issues always are. Unfortunately, we didn't have to suffer like this. We didn't have to, but you know, history says <laughs> we do. Humans do. That's that's just what we do. That's just what we do. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's um, yeah, just this the the idea that we are uh, you know drowning in this sea of endless, infinite, free content and, and all the noise and everything. Um, it, it, it really plays into the idea uh, and going back to sort of libertarianism, you know, one of my favorite books of all time that 
changed a lot of things for me is uh, Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. Oh, I uh, haven't read it, but yeah, that is probably one I should read. It's fantastic um, because, and and I think Jeff Riddenbach, uh, I think his name is, he's a libertarian who, who he, he gives his voice to a lot of libertarian uh, books and whatnot. But uh, I remember that it's one of the key concepts that libertarians have failed to realize is that uh, the, the Huxleyan idea of Brave New World, where, where it will be, it's the culture, it's the pleasure, it's the free, it's the all the free content, all the noise, all that stuff, all the excitement, the allure, the carrots on the stick everywhere, the shiny objects. Because I think early, for me early on, I was like very much like, well, this is a an Orwell thing. This is like a dystopian, you know, the boots on our neck, but the boot never comes down directly. You know, it's never it's never directly. I encounter so many people in my life uh, who just are looking at me like I'm like out of my mind, you know, close friends, family. Like they're just like, what what are you talking about? You know, because they don't feel it. Like I literally had a friend say to me, yeah, I mean, after 9-11, I mean, nothing really changed, you know, and I was like. Yeah, I was like, and I and I thought about like from his perspective, what he you know, well-to-do, wow. kind of affluent, uh, New Yorker, cosmopolitan type, whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, how, I, I'm like, I'm baffled by how you could say that. But then I thought about it through a series of questions with him, and it's like he he's not experiencing the the, the tyranny right yes. in his face. Yeah, right. It's an abstract outsourced tyranny right so you know postman makes the argument that it's like this hybrid version of orwellian and huxleyan kind of dystopia mm -hmm. um so with this you know with this be we're in this mystical age we're in this magical world there is the sort of darker elements to it right like we've been kind of talking about what are some of the the positive elements of it well, I, I mean, I think that we've expressed a lot of them throughout this conversation. Yeah, you know, the, the, the ability to the ability to talk about these ancient traditions. And I mean, so that's something when we talk about psychedelics in a mature manner, inevitably, we end up talking about tradition because mm -hmm. anybody who is a fellow traveler will know that. You know, after when you have enough wisdom, you come into the experience with fear. You should, mm -hmm. right? Healthy fear, mm -hmm. the fear, fear of God, as, as it might be put by, by our ancestors. You're going to come into this with a healthy dose of fear. And where do you look? Where do you look? What is that telling you? What is that a signal that you're, you want to look for guidance? And much of that guidance is the ancestors. And you know, if we're talking about plant medicine, and especially when we're using those terms, plant medicine, yeah, we want to look to, we want to ask the shamans of those cultures. We want to ask the people who, they're in, who, who have a long oral tradition of what is the proper way to approach this? What is the proper place that I should be? What is the proper, you know, mindset and, and, and setting that I should be in? What is the proper dosage, right? Mm -hmm. What is the proper time of day, perhaps? All of these things. Um, what should I be doing afterwards, how should I be integrating this? You know, what is, what is the higher purpose here? All of these things are, they're all contained in, in um, they're all contained in our tradition. And so this is, gives us an opportunity to begin to refine. It's a mystical renaissance that we have on our hands. Yeah. True, people are, yeah. people are willing. 
we can have this conversation. Right. Like yeah. that's what's crazy is like we can have a conversation about this, about Orthodox Christianity, about all of these things. We can have these conversations now. And it's not like, oh, these people are just crazy. Now, there's some materialists. Yeah. There's some materialists who are still that way. But one of the things that I have noticed that has stood out to me is how many people are saying, you know, I a few months ago, I was a total materialist, like atheist, like not down for any of this, but seeing what happened in 2020, you know, mm -hmm. I left myself open to at least some of these ideas and they made sense. And when I embodied and integrated them, my life got better. So it's a reflection of reality. And this would not have happened five years ago, 10 years ago. These were not conversations that we could even have. And so, you know, it's not that there is a, it's not even that it's negative or positive. It's just everything. It comes with the territory. Right. Is that right. the mystical is encroaching back in. It's we're coming back into balance, actually. We've, the pendulum has swung way too far to the materialist side. And you can't derive an ought from an is. Now, what's going to happen invariably is it's going to swing too far back on the other side. And we're going to move away from even caring about the is. And that's where you get into superstition and everything has meaning. It's a schizophrenic culture. Mm -hmm. right? right now, we're in an autistic culture where nothing has meaning. Right? It's all empirical you do what you do it's sliding back the the far the the middle is balance the far end is schizophrenia right that's the darkest part of the dim age is where the entire culture is that's when you have literal witch hunts which will be back by the way they will be back well i feel like they're they're happening already i feel like well you're you know, seeing I, the glimpse you're seeing yeah. the glimpse but i'm saying literal witches will be burned at the stake again Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. I, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Not metaphoric. We're yeah. seeing the pattern. We're sure. seeing the pattern and the energy. I right? know witches, you know, I did. I, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So what, what constitutes a witch will be, you know, different, but it's coming. Yeah. So you want to have a balance and, and the way to have balance in the world is to pursue balance in you as an individual. Because you are in the world and as above, so below the macrocosm and the microcosm, you know, what you have control over is at least your daily activities as you find balance within yourself. That's the beautiful part. The beautiful part is that the, the doors are open to all of the experiences that can be. And we have a chance in, in, a, in an environment of minimal judgment. That's the best. If the woke have given us anything. It is the opportunity to explore the world. There is a positive side to the woke. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's a lot of corruption because they want power, political power. But if you were to take away any chance of the woke getting political power, there's a lot of positive. Mm -hmm. And the because they're chaos. Right. 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 They're a chaos energy. So th they'll destroy the order. You want this if you're gonna have political, you want there to be order. Right. You don't want totalitarian order, but you don't want you, you can't just d demolish it with chaos. But that chaos is like the door is open for experimentation. And now is the time when we need experimentation and we can draw from tradition, especially. 
so we can travel back into tradition in a way that we couldn't five years ago, 10 years ago. Dude, 10 years ago, if someone was trying to t- talk to me about Orthodox Christianity, bro, I wouldn't have even. Yeah. I wouldn't like, <laughs> right. I would have been like, dude, that is, that is actually the farthest thing from anything I would ever be interested in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same, man. And so that's to me, that's the positive is it's like, what, a, what an opportunity for a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's such a good point. I love that because it really does. I see that in my life. You know, uh, I'm friends with a lot of people that that don't share the views that we're sharing here. But I but the the good thing about it is that there is an openness because mm-hmm. they are that woke and they're willing to listen and they're willing to be mm-hmm. open and they're willing to consider. And it's not like this thing that you know. I remember in sales, like I, I was for, when I first started working in sales, like I was taught, you know, that people hear things, uh, they have to hear things. Seven, like se- at least seven times mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm. different kind of way. You know, mm-hmm. it's like fr- you hear it, you hear it from someone who is a professor who's on YouTube. Then you hear it from, you know, then finally you hear it from like your cousin and then like your brother. And it's like, right. oh, it's personal right. to me. I get it now. Right. Now it makes sense. And even with this, like, um, I, for me, I, I used to be like, ah, oh, fucking the government and the Fed and all this kind of stuff, which is still important. Sure. However, yeah. The struggles that I'm noticing the most right now is, oh, you can come see us, but we want you to wear a mask and get a test. And, and it's this, it's the, 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 I, I, and I did, I never would have thought this when I first started down the libertarian path, but it it really has become, and obviously we've seen over the years that Mm -hmm. how important the cultural war has been, but it's even more than that. It's like this. Mm People enforcing like the other day I was I went on a hike and people are wearing masks on the hike. And, you know, it's a, a it's bowl, crazy. outside of Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> it's and, and yeah, it's it's it, and it's so nuts. Like I started to like whenever I see it, I like try and not to get angry because I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. nah, that's not going to do anything. So I mm-hmm. sing. I'm, I'm just like singing a song. I'm like, hey, you're wearing a mask by yourself. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, I just kind of like turn into a song. But but it's but it's like it, it really is the the enforcers. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody now. Mm-hmm. It's like your mm-hmm. your siblings, your friends. Like the, these are the people that are pressuring you. So, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like messaging, right? Like bringing people on board. Uh, are there some? I don't know. Can you share some maybe insights into uh, communicating with people and sort of passing these ideas along? Because I do believe what you were saying. Like, I, I and I'm curious to get your take on this about like mass messaging. Like, where mm-hmm. where where should the mass messaging be? And then for me, I know that you know the the local level, you know, individual from an individual point of view, and then like kind of the things that I'm doing here in Denver too. Like, it's just like with decriminalization efforts and and men's retreats and mm-hmm. uh, you know coaching and group work. Like, there's opportunity there to to make these small changes, right? And I know you agree mm-hmm. with that. So, what about like the mm-hmm. mass messaging, and then also just maybe for you on a personal level, what you go through with people. Yeah, that's a it's a very good question and I haven't I have an answer but the answer is much more let's say it's much more holistic than just masks but it solves masks. And it's what I have realized that the actual Christian answer is. Mm. And also it is the answer that is at the core of 
what of the Declaration of Independence, what's really being said, right? So the Declaration of Independence is a letter to a king. It's important to remember that. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's a letter to a king who is the ultimate authority or thought that he was the ultimate authority. But what this letter says is that you are not the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is God. That's what it says. Like it says, we are the authority, but where do, from where do we get our authority from God? And this is useful because that was exactly where the king said that he got his authority, the king that they were writing the letter to. So it was an appeal to a universal sovereign that, they, that the king had already recognized. It's a great rhetorical tool, right? In terms of a philosophical doc, political philosophy, it's like, Actually, we're appealing to the person that you, the entity that you have said is the reason that you are allowed to be king. We're going to go up here. <laughs> yeah. Right? Works very well. Okay? And this is the answer. The answer to all of this is about sovereignty. And this is where the materialist libertarians will fall off. So I wrote a book, Self-Ownership. That was my second book. I wrote it in 2017. And it's dealing with these issues. So ownership, like digging into what is ownership? Something that the Austrian, Austrian school, the economists you read, they never actually say what is ownership. They'll say property is that which is owned. But it's like, well, what is ownership? Let's really dig into it. What is, what is this concept? And as I explore that, as all of my books are, you know, this exploration that I, I embody in my life as I'm write, writing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I come to in the book is like, it's this divine spark. I come to the exact same thing that ends up in the Declaration of Independence. It's like, there, you, are, you are an aspect of the divine. That's the mystery that everything has to end at. And so who is the sovereign? Who is the sovereign? The, the answer that Christianity came up with is, well, here is a sovereign, you know, Christ the king. This is the, this is the, the idea of the king. You know, not just the Lord where you're the servant, like the, the God of Israel, but the, a king. I have a king that I answer to, and he is above all kings. He is the king of kings. That's what that is. So what happens when you pick the king of kings and you start answering to the king of kings? Well, it makes it very easy to respond to the state. If you really believe it, if you really embody it, and if you really have had an experience of an entity of this entity, which is what the Christian, the real Christian tradition, the Orthodox tradition is trying to bring to everyone. Because if you have the experience and it's undeniable, like, oh, wait, there is something. It talked to me. It told me what to do. I, the Holy Spirit, I had a feel this. I know this is real. This is all real. Then when it's all real you, and somebody says, well, put on a mask by whose authority? Mm. Because one, I'm not scared of death. Not right. certainly not that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not incautious, but I'm not going to cease to be human and give up my humanity. And certainly, you know, when they close down the churches, oh, you can't have Eucharist. We saw these videos of them kicking people out during Easter services and all of that. Yeah, oh, yeah right. Christians yeah. a thousand years ago died for less than that allowed themselves to be martyred for much less than that. Christians a thousand years ago would have sat in that church and let who, whatever they, whoever they were chop them up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the history of Christianity. Why? Why? Because they were serving a sovereign. 
who had a covenant with them about their behavior. And they feared that sovereign much more than they feared the sword chopping their head off because it was real. Because it was real. That's the answer. That's how tyranny never gets its foot in the door. Ever. If you ha- and that's how, that's, how, that's how America had stayed free. That's how the revolution was fought in the first place. That's how slavery was ended. The abolition movement was started as a religious movement. It was preachers in the North. It was religious in nature that this is immoral. So the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King, this is a religious movement. These are all, why are they willing to die? Why are they willing to be martyred? Because they are serving a higher sovereign who has commanded them to do this. That is the answer. Mm. And, and, and if you want, if you are a tyrant at the celestial level, if you are in service to that pattern that I call the prince of this world, that some people might call the adversary, that you might call Satan, you would want nothing more than to sever the tie that would allow people to take on that sovereign, to sever the tie and tell people that sovereign doesn't exist. Ah, it ends with the state. It ends at the state. Not the founding fathers who founded that state said, no, the state is not sovereign. The creator is sovereign, and the state serves the people who are serving the sovereign. That's literally what the Declaration of Independence says. Explicitly, that's what it says, who the sovereign is of the country that they're building. So the answer's there. Yeah, wow. Especially for libertarians. Mm -hmm. If If your sovereign is the state, if it goes no higher than that, you are fucked right now. I can't say it more explicitly. You are fucked because you're not going to take command of the state. You know why? Because the people in command of the state don't think. The people who are really in command of the state, they don't think that the power ends at the state. As a matter of fact, they know it doesn't. You've got family bloodlines. You've got personal connections that have carried on for generations. And with some of them, You have a real acknowledgement of a higher power that is not, that is a God. It's not like these gods went away. Right, right. It's not like the gods went away. (laughs) (laughs) They were, the the early Christians acknowledged that there were other gods. Mm -hmm. So did the Jews. And there were other gods who ruled over the other nations. Right. Yeah. Isn't uh, I'm not so familiar with Christ- with Christianity as I should be, but isn't it like uh, one of the most important things in the Bible, which is like you should you shall not uh, worship uh, any other gods. So it's yeah, like, you, sh- you shall have no gods before me. I am the Lord. Thy God It's the first commandment. Right. Thou shall oh, have no, no, <laughs> thou shall have, n- thou yeah, shall have I no, yeah. it is the <laughs> most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Well, why do you need a first commandment saying you shall have no other gods before me if there are no other gods? Is God stupid? Of course not. The people there understood exactly what that meant. There's lots of gods. Have no other before me. So if you want to be a materialist, do you really, really think that the people at the top 
Do you really, really think that the people running the show, that they're materialists just like you? Well, are they? Are you, uh, do you know what God they're worshiping? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, right. Uh, Vin, this has been great, man. This has been a great I conversation. It, yeah, I, I, uh, I, we're at like uh, an hour 45 right now. So do, do you have a little bit more time? Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Um, Cause you, you brought up some great stuff here that I want to address. And, and one of them is uh, you know, I almost get this sense, this feeling, right? Like you hear the, well, you know, we're the secular country and blah, 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 all this stuff. Right. But there's a, there is something to that, that I see. It's almost like a lot of people that not a lot of people, but, but some people that I interact with almost have this image of history and the Bible and the gods and the pantheon of gods and all this stuff that, uh, you know, that it's this thing that happened long ago, or it's this kind of imaginary story. And, and now we're living in this world of science and facts and data and logic and reason. And this is the age of reason and all this kind of stuff. And so it's just, it's this like nebulous kind of abstract concept that's just over there somewhere, just put it away, put it over there. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, yeah, this is, we're in a meaning crisis. There's a, a sense-making uh, crisis and that's, you know, makes people ripe for things like Q and things of that nature. And I was just wondering if I can get some of your thoughts on, on that. It is an interesting mode of behavior to say, let's throw away beliefs that our ancestors were willing to die for. It's an interesting, it's an interesting way to behave. And I think it also, it, it also shows a misunderstanding of, of the nature of culture and, and of mimetic evolution, mm. right? So we have, so let's take to genetics, okay? So this would be akin to saying that because a gene came into our genome, or let's say a part of our body or a piece of the brain came into our lineage and emerged five million years ago that we could just we should just take it away no it's actually more valuable see this is the way evolution works like the most valuable things are the things that are the oldest it's not the other way around mm. because it's the foundation as we were talking about before, which, which is worse, okay? You've got a 20-story building, okay? Buildings are built from the ground up generally, okay? You've got, a building, you've got a building where it's been built on top of, on top of, on top of, on top of. Which would you rather have? Or which, 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 which is more important that you don't allow it to happen? Some terrible thing comes along and blows the 20th floor off, or some terrible thing comes along and blows the first floor out, including all of the load-bearing structures that all the rest is built on top of. This is clear. This is clear. Well, those things that they are saying, those, that's your first floor. Yeah, it, it was clear before 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and it's it, it to the point, right? If you, right. you you can't do it up there, you can't knock the building down from up there. You're gonna need to blow it blow it up down here, right? Mm-hmm. This is the whole point. So, okay, so we we blow out you blow out your foundation. Well, of course, there's a meaning crisis. Of course, there's a sense-making crisis because the whole idea of sense-making, the the whole way that something makes sense is that you can see from the beginning to the end, okay? Take a movie, right? I pick any random movie and I show you like clips, just, just a clip from like a third, a third of the way through. I pick a two minute clip and then I'm like, tell me what the movie is about. We can't make sense of that movie. Of course you can't make sense of that movie. You don't know how the story connects from beginning to end. You need a beginning, a middle, and an end of a story. This is the sense-making. The sense-making is they're like, well, the beginning doesn't matter. The beginning of the story doesn't matter. And that just doesn't, that's, that's, that's not true. The beginning of a story, you can't make sense of the end of a story if you don't have the beginning of the story. And so this is what we're, this is what we're moving through at this moment is we're moving through we're moving through a time when because of those individuals, because of the individuals who are saying, well, this is, you know, these superstitions from these people and we're in an age of science and it's much better. Your entire understanding of the world is built on that foundation. You can't, you can't start from the 20th floor, man. You can't, you gotta, you walk into the lobby and you get in the elevator and you go up to the 20th floor. If I blow out the lobby, you can't get to the 20th floor. The 20th floor doesn't make any sense. You're just going through the motions. It's just the form. And what they've started to do, and this is the real problem, is they, what they think is they don't understand that the building is collapsing while they're in it. It's, mm. it's, it's in free fall. And they're spending time saying the 20th floor is the foundation and we're going to just build on top of the 20th floor. You're in free fall, bro. You knocked the bottom five floors out. You said they weren't important. And now you're trying to build on top of the 20. 20- See how far you get. Mm. See how far you get before that 20th floor lands on the bottom and explodes because it's in free fall right now. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I I'm 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 heading into the the dim age over here. My light my light just went out. But uh <laughs> but um but yeah, a- amazing Vin. Yeah, definitely. And and uh you know, I I watched this video that really stuck with me a, a while ago by this this uh uh channel on on YouTube called uh, Wisecrack where they were talking about J.R.R. Tolkien and his philosophy behind mm, the rings mm. and stuff. It's great. I'll send you the link. Um it's really cool. Yeah, please. They mentioned that he believed in uh, the world as always getting worse. That if you look at Lord of the Rings, yeah. that it's like the past is grander, you know, but this, the, these grand statues mm-hmm. and they're crumbling and there are these glory days and this history. And that, you know, you get this the Sauron that wants to come and, uh, you know, take it all away mm-hmm. and, and, and build anew and all this stuff. Uh, but he believed in this thing called the U catastrophe, which is a sudden turn of events at the end of a story 
that ensures that the protagonist mm-hmm. doesn't meet like a, a terrible end, right? Like the Eagles flying into that. Mordor, the perfect time, right? Yeah. And, and, and when I, I, I remember when, yeah, it's great. Right. Cause when I saw this, I was like, man, that makes so much sense. Like this is like his, mm-hmm. like, we're always going in these cycles. We're always kind of going mm-hmm. through these motions and the, the, the evil that comes in the world is the, the one that thinks that it can, um, you know, build, like you said, on that 20th floor rather than go back to those foundations. But then when they go back to those foundations, Aragon's the king and he's restored in the order. And mm-hmm. everything. So, That's right. yeah, it's I'll, I'll send you that link. It's really cool, man. This was great, dude. I, I really appreciate it so much. And uh, yeah, Thanks, any, 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 oh, I, I was just going to say also, too, there's a great section in the book that you, you were just talking about. Um, render unto Caesar, which I highly recommend everybody go get. And uh, you could tell them where to go, Vin. It's uh, it's fantastic, uh, and uh, uh, as well as your other books. So yeah, uh, any la- yeah, any last sure. words, and then tell the people where they can go. Yeah, man, I just want to say thank you very much for having me having me on. This was uh, I think it was the apropos conversation at the apropos time. I I really. If I want to admonish anyone of anything, or if I want to suggest from my own experience of dealing with this last year, I think that the greatest thing that people can be doing right now, I know, especially in the Liberty community, that there has been, there there is an inclination toward wanting. And I think, I think that this comes from the best of places wanting to change the minds of others through activism and a message and all of that. That is what changes people's minds. So a message is what changes people's minds, right? And sharing a message is what changes people's minds. But before you can articulate a message, you need to embody the message. And I think going back to what we said about Ron Paul, and, and you're, although you said it as a joke, the, the absolute truth of like, you need to go and deliver a hundred babies, then come talk to me. Oh, this is such like a Zen concept, man. This is like, that's like something a Zen master would say. That's like straight out of Karate Kid, man. And because it's true, because then you've embodied the message that you're saying. It isn't theory. It's spoken from your heart. And so the greatest gift that you can give the world is to transform yourself. If you want to transform the world coming out of this dim age, transform yourself and people around you will be transformed and people will reach out to you to ask you to give them a message because they'll see glimpses in you and they'll be drawn to it and you will be pushed forward because you're serving something greater. And and that is what you're reaching out to. Reach out to something greater than yourself to teach you who you are and to teach you what reality is. It and, and it's it is going into yourself, but believe me, as dim as things are now, you won't be going you won't be dealing with yourself for very long. People are so unevolved right now, man, that you evolve yourself in the littlest bit and people are so hungry for a give me something, give me some a step on the path. People are so hungry. That's the greatest thing you could do for humanity right now is to go on your own and to be taking those steps, right? 
So, it, you know, if, if people find that through the things that I talk about, fantastic. You know, I'm going to be taking a little break from doing these uh, podcasts and everything, um, probably for a few months, maybe till September or so to do some coding because I need to just do the work myself, right? Yeah. Um, I've been saying yes to a lot of this, but like my book is out there. And so during that time, if people want to check that out, it's so um, my new book, Render Unto Caesar, is, uh, is at theproofof.work. Um, so the full title is Render Unto Caesar, Prophecy, Profit, and Proof of Work in the Dim Age. So it's at theproofof.work. And then if they want self-ownership, which is my last one, selfownership.me, and they can get my first one, Dow of the Gigolo, uh, on Amazon. That one's on Amazon. The other two you have to buy with cryptocurrency. Cool. So, so that's, that's, uh, that's part of the deal. That's part of like embodying it and the knowledge and the commitment. So yeah, but besides that, I mean, I'll be on Twitter still and, and everything like that. So that's at Vin Armani. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. No, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, that it's 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 been great. So yeah, cool, man. Good luck doing the work, and uh, Thanks, I'll try. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out pretty soon. I think. Um, yeah, follow him on Twitter, folks. Uh, get his books. This is. Uh, you know, if you enjoyed this conversation, you know what to do. So thanks so much, Vin. And thank uh, you, Mike. yeah, well, uh, I'm a crypto savage as well. So I, I might have to throw that in my, my Twitter. Yeah. You, you've got, you, you've got some hashtags like the dim age and crypto savage. So I'm going to have to like include that, incorporate that in, in my stuff. Oh, so you've get, you've given thank me you, a lot to, to think <laughs> about you, and to work off of. So I appreciate thank you, you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Peace. All right. Bye.